Good morning, first service. It's so good to see you. Um, my name is Claudia. I'm one of the pastors here in church. And today our service is a little bit different than we usually do it, but it is a day of change. We heard powerful songs that talk about change. We heard powerful testimonies about how God touched lives and brought change. And I want to continue with, the to with this topic as we start our book reading series today. I brought a book that is talking about change. And guys, let me tell you, that was the Holy Spirit. When I prepared this, I didn't know that the service would look like this. So I believe that God will speak to you today as I introduce the book that I brought for us. The book is called Winning the War in Your Mind, and it is written by Greg Groeschel. Pastor Greg Groeschel is the founder and senior pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma. He is a best-selling author. He is a leadership expert, a devoted husband, and a father of six children. I mean, that's amazing. Think about that. Six children. They're all in ministry. They're all serving God. His book, Winning the War in Your Mind, is the result of his journey through the struggling and how he did overcome the struggles in his life. And in his book, Greg Rochelle allows us to take a look at his ugliest moments, but also at his greatest breakthroughs. And by making himself so vulnerable, he helps us to see that there is hope for everyone, for everyone. It doesn't matter where you are today, there's always hope for change. God can work in your life. Greg Rochelle says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts and what we think shapes who we are. And guys, when, when you think about yourself, when you think about the thoughts that you have, when I think about the thoughts that I have, I have to admit that I have thoughts in my life that are destructive and that are not in line with the Word of God. But one thing that I learned from the book is that we are bombarded with about 500 unintentional thoughts every day. These are thoughts that you do not choose to think and you do not want to think them, but they still come. You cannot do anything against them. They will come and find you, but you can do something about how you deal with those thoughts. And Greg Rochelle's book can make all the difference for you and me when it comes to dealing with destructive thinking and living free lives and fulfilling our purpose in the kingdom of God. But I want to warn you right at the beginning, before I even start to dig deeper into the book, every chapter of this book comes with an exercise. And it is crucial to do those exercises to experience true and lasting change. When in war in your mind has four main parts, and every part presents an important principle to you. Each part has three chapters, and as I said, every chapter comes with an exercise. The chapters and exercises, they build on each other, they are linked together, and together they guide you deeper and deeper into the topic to experience change. Part one of this book is called The Replacement Principle. Remove the lies, replace with truth. 
This first part helps us to detect the lies that we believe and makes us aware that a lie believed as truth will affect our lives as if it were true. Let me say that again. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. And so it's important to really make an inventory of your thinking and check it with the word of God to find out if what you think and what you believe really is true. But in that first part, Greg Rochelle also reminds us of who our real enemy is. He reminds us how the devil tries to trick us constantly and constantly fights against us trying to plant thoughts in our head that are not true. And no matter if you choose to be at war with him, you are at war with him. That's why you need to engage. Let me read a passage from the book. You and I are actually in a war. I know that can, I can find it hard to believe too, because most days it just doesn't feel that way. Life just seems normal. But we are in a war, one that has less to do with our thumbs and everything to do with what's going on above our eyebrows. I don't know about you, but I have never glared at the devil and said to him, one, two, three, four, I declare a spiritual war, but maybe it's time to declare war. Yet Paul said, we do not wage war as the world does, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. The problem is that many Christians don't wage war at all. Satan is assaulting us with evil. He's delivering blows of deception and bombarding us with lies, but we can be oblivious to the attacks. As a result, our lives are not what we want, and we numb ourselves to reality. We long for more but settle for less. We keep ourselves too busy and distracted. We buy things, attempting to impress people and fill some mysterious inner endless void. We scroll mindlessly on social media, feeling left out, left behind and unimportant as we compare our dull lives with everyone else's highlight reels. We do our best to pretend we are happy while a war rages around us. And as a result, we are losing battle after battle. You may recall from history class that the United States took a while to engage in World War II. We spent the first years maintaining a neutral position. We believed that because the war was over there, it wasn't impacting our lives. Eventually, it became clear that Hitler and the Axis powers would not stop, and the freedom of the entire world was hanging in the balance. When the Japanese bombed our naval base at Pearl Harbor, that provocation was the final straw. Finally, the US entered the war. On D-Day, we joined with other allied, allied forces as 150 troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. The Germans had set about 4 million landmines to protect the beach from such an invasion. They also rained down gunfire on our men. The sacrifices that day were enormous. Thousands of lives were lost. But the engagement was necessary because there was no other way to defeat evil. 
win the battle in our minds, we must engage. Because there's no other way for us to defeat evil. The days of being neutral must be over. If we want to win the war in our mind and experience change, we have to start fighting. There is no other way. And the best way to fight against the lies of Satan is to contrast it with the truth of the word of God. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the desert. And that's what Greg Crescell invites us to do as well. Find truth in the Bible and contrast and compare it with the lies that you believe. Part two is called the revire principle. Revire your brain, renew your mind. And it is all about how you can, can get rid of old thinking patterns by intentionally declaring and meditating on God's word. This part comes with many, many um, practical examples, but in that part, Greg Rochelle also gives us scientific information about brain chemistry and neuro neurology. And this information can help us to see that habits and thinking patterns are formed by repeating an information again and again. That's great when you want to learn a new instrument or when you want to learn to drive. But it can be very destructive when you tell yourself again and again that you're not worth anything or that you will never make it out of your financial problems. So let me, let me share one example from Greg Rochelle's life and what he did with his wrong thinking. He writes, I told you earlier about my financial rut. That's a fine, the, the rut is like this, this wrong thinking, the wrong pathway that you have created by repeating a lie again and again. So I've told you earlier about my financial rut. Any trigger about money leads me to fear, thoughts of how I don't have enough, and my need to save more to create security. When I am triggered about money, I fall into a rut. That's how my brain works. So I need to create a trench of truth. The good news is that the Bible speaks to all our problems. God's word gives us truth that empowers us to break out of the old rut of destruction and onto a new path that leads to life. What does the Bible say that applies directly to my fears and issues about money? Here are some of my verses. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, Philippians 4.12. I will save you and you will be a blessing, Zechariah. 813. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20:35. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9:8. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4:19. From these, I put together what I call a declaration, what I am declaring to be, to be true in my battle 
against the lies I am tempted to believe. The goal of the declaration is to have it become my new neural pathway, my intentionally dug trench of truth. Here's my declaration based on God's word. Money is not and will never be a problem for me. My God is an abundant provider who meets every need. Because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will, learn, uh, I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. That's just one of my declarations that speaks directly to a problem that has plagued me for years. These statements create a new pathway leading me to a life of peace and generosity. What Greg Crescell describes here is powerful and it works. And it doesn't matter if you are struggling with an eating disorder, if you have marriage problems, if you have an addiction or overspending or loneliness or selfishness. There is something in the Bible that will speak against that, that will speak against that lie. And that's why Greg Crescell invites us to open the word of God and to find the Bible verses that speak to our problem. And then take those verses and form them into declarations like the one that he has. And then he invites us to speak those continually, repeatedly, and constantly. And to declare those declarations over your life, write them, think them, declare them until they create a more, more powerful pathway than the, than the lie that you have believed for so many years. In part three, Greg Rochelle introduces us to, to the reframe principle. In this part, he explains that all of us have lenses and fil filters when we look at our world and also that we tend to try to control our circumstances. Filters and lenses are formed by past experiences. But the problem with lenses and filters is that when we look at a situation through our lenses and our filters, we might not see what's really there. We might not see the whole situation. For example, your experience right here in the service today totally depends on your past. It depends on what you think about Christianity and church in general. And it also depends on what you think about Berlin Church, women pre uh, pre preachers, or Pastor Claudia in particular. Two people in that service here today can have two completely different experiences simply because you see the situation here through different lenses and filters. And getting rid of those lenses and filters can be super liberating. It can be as liberating as to let go of the control of our life. I mean, like Greg Rochelle, he describes that so well in his book. And I'm with him, I have to admit. I, I like to have my life under control. I really like to control. But honestly, there's no way. There's no way we can control anything. There's no way we can control our lives. But as much as we cannot control what life throws at us from time to time, we can control how we deal with it. 
And I want to read again from the book, and this time it's from the life of Paul, because Paul is a very powerful example. Paul had a strategic plan for advancing the gospel, and this is the Apostle Paul, just to clarify. So Paul had a strategic plan for advancing the gospel, go to Rome. If he could get to Rome and preach Jesus to the leaders there, the city could become a lounge pet to spread the gospel all over the world. When Paul finally got to Rome, it was not to share Jesus with government officials. He was there as a prisoner. He was locked up under house arrest, chained to a rotating contingent of guards, awaiting a possible execution. Paul's circumstances were out of his control. He wrote to the church at Philippi about what was happening to him. He could have written. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. I wanted to spread the good news through preaching to government officials, but that did not happen. As a result of this hell I've been through, I have decided that prayer doesn't work, and I'm never going back to church ever again. But that's not, let me say that again, that's not what Paul wrote. Instead he wrote, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am, I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul was saying, I had a plan, but God's plan was better. This is a whole different way to advance the gospel than, I, than what I was thinking. God has blessed me with prison guards who are chained to me. They have no choice but listen to me and tell them about Jesus. These soldiers have the ear of influential leaders. And get this, every eight hours they chain a new guard to me. And they think I'm the prisoner. Ha! God is moving. I can't wait to see what he does next. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. This little part of, of Paul's life is powerful. And I mean, he really used every situation to advance the gospel, to talk about Jesus. He used all circumstances to, to uh, encourage others and to advance the kingdom of God. And I think he did that because he got rid of lenses and filters and he got rid of taking control of his life. And Greg Rochelle shows us how we can do the same. He gives us two major keys to do that. And the first key is to look into our past and to look for unanswered prayers and thank God for what he didn't do in our life. Because when we check our past, sometimes what we asked for would have destroyed us. And the second key is to look in our past and to check for the goodness of God. For his goodness guiding us and being with us all the time. And guys, I promise when you do that, when you check and thank God for the things he didn't do, and look for his goodness, you will find that he was there all the time and that his sovereign hand has guided, protected and provided for you all the way through. 
And through that, you can see your life differently. You can get rid of lenses and filters. You can get rid of trying to take control. You can reframe your past. You can pre-frame your future. And you can find happiness, contentment, and new drive. Now, the last part of this book is called The Rejoice Principle. Revive your soul, reclaim your life. And this part talks about mental triggers and how to overcome them and also about a change of perspective. I mean, all of us have triggers. Think about your life. All of us have, have triggers that make us run or hide or fight or explode or cry or paralyze. I have them, you probably have them as well. And these reactions can be summarized as panic. And again, Greg Rochelle takes it from a scientific point of view and he explains from a brain chemistry point of view where panic comes from. And when we know where panic comes from, we actually have a weapon to control and fight against it. And the best weapon against panic is prayer and praise. Same is true with, with perspective in life. We see things from a different point of view, but prayer and praise can bring things into perspective. And Greg Rochelle shares a, a powerful story from his life where everything was going wrong. And I don't know, I mean, did you notice when you have problems, usually they come in groups? When it comes, it comes. And when it comes, we focus on the problem. And we cannot see anything else anymore but the problem. But when we stop, and when we start praying and praising God, our perspective can change. Because then our focus is no longer on the problem, but it is on God. It is on who he is, and that can change anything. Then you can really work with him to find solutions, or simply he can help you to make it through that tough season. I know prayer and praise helped me last year when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Without prayer and praise, I would have freaked out. But I kept on praying and I kept on praising. And this is how God gave me peace and he gave me strength to make it, to make it through and to help my family. Prayer and praise are very, very powerful. And guys, you have no idea... Really, you have no idea how powerful prayer and praise is. Let me read. Dr. Andrew Newberg is the director of research at Thomas Jefferson Hospital and Medical College in Pennsylvania. Um, he writes in scholarly articles and in books like How God Changes Your Brain. And he writes that prayer is like a physical workout for the brain and changes its chemistry. Think about that. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry of your brain. Dr. Caroline Leaf is another author in that field, and she writes, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in the brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. Worshiping God even has been shown to decrease heart rate, blood pressure, blood glucose levels, and serum markers for inflammation. 
Dr. Newberg has proven that praising and worshiping God leads to quantifiable changes in brain volume and metabolism, especially in a part of the brain called the cingulate cortex. Turns out an increase in the vo volume of the cingulate cortex results in increased capacity for compassionate thinking and feeling. Prayer and praise are powerful. They not only change our situations, neutralize panic and give us a different perspective. Prayer and praise change our brain. They change our thinking. And this is how they become two of the mightiest weapons in our fight to win the war in our mind. Guys, I tell you, this book is amazing. I would want to talk more, but I have to stop now. I just want to tell you, I learned so much from this book. This book is simple, but it is powerful, and it can help us to overcome. It, it's, it's a weapon offered to us, a weapon that can help us to understand, first to understand where our thought life is rooted, and then what we can practically do to replace lies with truth and experience breakthrough and lasting change. And today, on a day where it's all about change, I hope that this can encourage you to take steps into a new season, into a new season of freedom and of a changed and renewed life. It's never too late, so take courage. It's never too late to win, to win the war in your, in your mind, so let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for, for your people here gathered at church. Thank you, God, for Pastor Craig and how he can just bring thoughts to us that really can help us to change. God, I pray that you bless this ministry, Lord, but I also pray that you bless everyone who is here in the service today. Lord, and I pray that, that you help us to step into change. God, I pray that you help us to never give up and to hold on to you and to take the right steps in the right direction so we can live free lives, lives that honor you so we can fulfill our purpose in your kingdom. And God, I pray that you bless everyone who's sitting here in the mighty name of Jesus.